Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, the, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Appreciate you checking out the uh, the series here. Uh, if this is something that you dig, you know, interviews with your favorite artists, uh, I hope you hit that subscribe button because we bring new interviews three times a week, one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So it is a great way to keep up with all of those favorite artists, discover some new ones, know what's happening in the music world. Of course, you can find us at all the major podcast hotspots like iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. In fact, this interview also has a video version. We recorded this over Zoom, so if you want to see see the conversation, you can uh, search Kyle Meredith with uh, Suzanne Vega over on YouTube as well. And to get started, I am Kyle Meredith, and I'll be talking with Suzanne Vega, one of my all-time favorite songwriters who has a brand new live album called An Evening of New York Songs and Stories. She recorded this at the famous Cafe Car. Carlisle in New York City. So, of course, I want to be hearing about what it was like to, uh, to do these shows in that room and why the love letters. She is uh, she's not born she, but uh, in New York, but she's been there since age two. So basically born and raised in New York City. Uh, but, but why exactly did she choose to do an entire set of songs devoted specifically to the city? We'll talk about personification as well as coming up 
in the 80s folk scene that she did and how her relationship with City has changed over the years. She'll talk about the loss of legendary venues and diners. Of course, uh, famously, Suzanne Vega wrote the song Tom's Diner, and those specifically are still rooms that she has a lot of uh, love for, especially uh, within fostering communities. So we'll get into that as well. And then the other side of nostalgia, the darker side of nostalgia that she'll talk about and the ghosts that go along with it. One of those ghosts is her late friend, the great Lou Reed. Uh, She covers Walk on the Wild Side on this live album here. So I want to hear about what their relationship was like and why she chose to cover that song. And even what 9-11 means to this record. Not only does the album find its release uh, coincidentally arriving on September 11th, but it also plays a a little part uh, of how she lost her brother Timothy uh, to alcoholism as well. So, So all that and more, let's jump into this, an evening of New York songs and stories. It's Kyle Meredith with Suzanne Vega. Thank you. Let me say about this record first, I don't know that I've been affected this hard by a live album especially in quite some time. Your performance is as amazing as always, but but I also want to point out the sound of it. Like if you know if, if the if the chatter hadn't been you know between songs, the talking, the storytelling, and a little crowd, I don't think I would have known that this was a live album. It sounds so prist- almost like binaural recording. Like wh- how did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I hired the right guys, obviously. Well, we had the engineer uh, come down and do it. I don't think we did anything different than we would have otherwise. Um, we didn't use any special techniques that I know of. Uh, I love the musicians I play with. They're great. And we were we did it over three nights, so we were able to piece together the best of, of the three nights. And I, I, trust, I trust their judgment as far as uh, the engineering goes. Well, I guess uh, the... The room had to have done something with that then, too, because as I read, I mean, you're not just in any room here. I mean, this is the uh, uh, Cafe Carlisle, right? I mean, for anybody who doesn't know about this place, would you could you tell a bit of the the history on it? Yeah, I believe it it opened, I want to say, like the 40s. It's a tiny room. It uh, seats less than 100 people, probably more like 70. It's a super expensive ticket. Uh, you have to pay not just for the music, but you pay for dinner and you pay for drinks, and and all of that is uh, quite pricey. I mean, you can spend three hundred dollars um, uh, on a, on an evening there. It's both high class and very bohemian because it, they have these beautiful murals in the back uh, that are, I think, hand painted of women and sort of half undressed and playing different instruments. Uh, or dressed in interesting costumes, and the men also are doing the same. So it's it's has this odd combination of kind of arty, bohemian, and super expensive and high class. Um, and it was a, a place where people like Eartha Kitt played and others of that ilk. You, you know, you had to you had to have arrived to play at the Cafe Carlisle. You couldn't just it wasn't a place for like up and coming um, kids. It's like. You could play there if you were a legend. So I was really thrilled to be asked. Yeah, well, there you go. I was about to say, it's, uh, I think you arrived quite some time ago, so the uh, the legendary status fits you. And, and what a perfect room then. Uh, I mean, when talking about rooms in New York City to do an album like this, because what we haven't talked about yet, of course, 
as it's told in the album title, An Evening of New York Songs and Stories. These are, are songs with a theme. Uh, what, what, I, so what prompted that? Why, why did you want to put together this set specifically? Well, playing the Cafe Carlisle, again, is not like playing Folk City or Blue Note or any other place. Um, you, it, they present their shows as though it's a, like an off-Broadway show. There's actually an opening night. All the press comes down the first night. And then you're expected to play your show for two weeks. So I thought, okay, let's make this like a real show. Let's uh, put a theme to it. And I suppose we could have done a theme like, oh, all love songs or whatever other theme I, I, I can play with all songs about family. But I thought, oh, let's do songs about New York because the Cafe Carlisle is, is a hotel and there's a lot of tourists that come in. And in fact, a lot of people came from out of town to see this show. People came from as far away as Italy and California wow. and Canada. Uh, you know, they rent a room and then you, you kind of come down, have your drinks and your, your, uh, your dinner. So, um, so I thought, oh, the New York thing might really work. It'll work for the out-of-towners and it will also work for the locals. And it worked better than I could have expected. Well, it's a story that uh, I think you were probably born to tell. I mean, you know, and, and as your your history, your biography goes, I mean, you weren't born in New York City, but you've been there, as you've said in other interviews, forever. I think since uh, since two, uh, I believe is what I, what I read. And cities are, 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 you know, authors, songwriters have talked about cities as a character before, but there is something about New York City, you know maybe more than any other city that's ever existed in the way that it's painted in poetry, uh, lyrics. You, you even, of course, have the song New York is a Woman. Uh, is it, do you treat it like a character study in that way? I mean, and, and to treat a place in the same way as a person, it, I mean, how similar is that when you're writing a song? Well, it's fun. It's fun to do that. It's called personification, I think, uh, in the technical terms. And I, I did it before with Solitude Standing, you know, making suddenly turning the idea of solitude into a woman. Um, so I, I do it from time to time. And it's a technique I've used on the road uh, as a way of talking to the audience. I'll say, New York is a woman, and then I'll give a few lines about what kind of woman she is. And then I'll say, what what's your town? You know, whether it's Edinburgh and Scotland, or whether it's Paris, or, uh, you know, is it male, is it female? A lot of them are bisexual, or uh, uh, people will shout out their ideas of their own um, city. And it's a way of kind of getting the audience to, to open up and play. And I do love what you say on this record, too, because as you do say the things that uh, New York is, I, I'm actually forgetting, but but you go through the types of woman that she is, which is, uh, you know, not always the most feminine, I guess, is what you're saying. The ladylike is, uh, I, I mean, um, but you end up, but always fascinating. Right. Yes, always fascinating, but not always, uh, not always high class and not always a lady. <laughs> I have been to New York uh, myself um, well over a hundred times, I'm sure, in my travels, and I can attest that I think you really do nail that because no matter how bad she'll treat us sometimes, we always come back. You always come back, <laughs> and you always stay in love with her. How, um, so, you know, you, you were an artist coming up in New York in the 80s, and I think regardless of what decade you pick, there is a fabled mythological scene that goes along with that. Has your relationship changed with New York over the years? Has my relationship changed with New York? I, I guess it has a little bit. I mean, in the 80s, I was deeply involved in the scene that was based around Folk City, uh, which in some ways was a, was not exactly a leftover of the folk, folk City scene from the 60s and 70s. It was a place of history. 
um, Folk City was, uh, because Bob Dylan had played there in the 60s, and then he started his Rolling Thunder Review from from there in the 70s. So I came along in the 80s, and there was still a, it was still a very vibrant scene. Now, sadly, there is no more Folk City. There are clubs like Rockwood, uh, which I don't play at, but I go to see other people perform. It's not really the same thing because at Folk City you could stay all night. You could stay all night and drink, have drinks at the bar and watch the set and learn how to perform. Uh, these days they, they clear the room. At the end of the show you have to leave and, and they're really mm. intense about it. You know, you, you can't even finish your drink before they throw you out into the street, which is really a whole different thing. So it's changed in that way, yeah. but um, in other ways it hasn't. The things I love are still there, Central Park and the Metropolitan Museum. Obviously, it's changed recently because I'm home for so long, mm. and literally home. I mean, literally, like, not going anywhere, uh, you know, going to Central Park and back, and that's my day. So that's different, and it's a different time right now. Uh, we'll have to see how it all works out after after the pandemic is over. Yeah, which rooms, which uh, stages are still around? I, I've heard you talk about community and the importance of it, especially in the art scene, which seems like an obvious thing to say, but it's uh, it's obviously not obvious to some people out there. And I'll point out again, as I've done in other interviews, I'll take this moment to point out of the people that are working very hard uh, right now to lobby Congress to help save some of these rooms, uh, you know, post-pandemic, you know, what, whatever that world might be looking at. But I always really appreciate when you do talk about community, because I think more and more, uh, me even here in Louisville, it's, it's hard to find that sense of community that I think you know, seem to be fostered in the past. There was an interview you recently did with a, a New York publication where you were even talking about uh, the absence of diners and how that fostered community too. I mean, obviously coming from the person who wrote one of the most famous diner songs of all time. But but that's, I mean, that's, that. I don't know if you can speak any more of it because I know I'm not asking a direct question here, but, but that whole thing about just having those rooms, even if they're not musical, where things happen, just conversations happen. Yeah, I think that's what we expect of New York, are places like diners where you can get together with somebody and, and cheaply and talk about your latest project or some idea you've had or, you know, that's, that's what those places are for. Um, as well as those of us who, who like to sit and be solitary and maybe write in our journal but don't want to stay home to do it. You know, that's what the other thing diners are really good for, or is like writing in your journal when you want to feel humanity around you but don't want them in your face, like the subway. <laughs> uh, so so, uh, so that, to me, is one of the, the pivotal things about New York. Bringing this back into this, this album uh, with an evening of New York songs and stories, wh- there's a song on here that shows me the flip side of, of painting a picture like this and that that's the song Ludlow Street because when I hear Ludlow Street it's almost like the other side of memories um the the ghosts you know it, it's 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 those moments of seeing what's not there uh which I find an, a really interesting uh, really interesting angle um tell me about that song because I don't think I've ever really read the where that song comes from because that's how I see it it's it's the it's the dark part of nostalgia yes I agree with you uh interestingly it's also the dark side of community um, in a way, those scenes can be destructive. You know, they can. You can get together and talk about your art, but you can. It also sometimes will foster alcoholism or drug use, or you know that that comes along with a kind of scene as well. So uh, Ludlow Street was a place where, when I was hanging out in the '80s, was the site for for many 
wild, crazy, fun parties. Um, there was one in particular, one uh, New Year's Eve party that seemed to go on for several days. Uh, I remember going down there on the Monday and coming home like Wednesday, Thursday, um, which is where I, you get the line about the nicotine because I was sort of experimenting with smoking then. It seemed like something fun and interesting. Uh, so I, that's the beginning of that song. And eventually my brother Timothy moved there. He moved to Ludlow Street. And uh, my brother Tim uh, passed away in 2002 of alcoholism. Um, so that whole partying scene, which was so much fun, it can just tip right over into the danger zone. Uh, after 9-11, uh, my brother worked at the World Trade Center and became kind of obsessed with the site, kept going down there, and his alcohol, his drinking got worse. And so it, Ludlow Street itself was a site for parties for me in the 80s that were fun and, and part of this group, and then also um, became where my brother lived. And ultimately, I mean, he had moved away a few months before he passed away, but ultimately those were, that was where he... He, uh, I, I, that's where I associate him with. So right. yes, I'm singing about his ghost. I'm singing about the ghosts of the parties that we had in the past, um, and how how one kind of led to another. I'm trying to pack all that into three minutes. And and another ghost shows up on here. I mean, your friend Lou Reed. You you do a cover of "Walk on the Wild Side," which is such a fun little version of, of that. And I know you know some of your your again. I'll hit your bio here. I mean, uh, I've heard you credit him as being the artist who kind of sparked you becoming a musician in the route that you did. Did you have a good relationship with him? Because you did get to know him, right? Yeah, yeah, I did get to know him. Uh, we ended up having a 35-year friendship. And I saw him in all kinds of moods. He could be great. He could be wonderful. He could be really, really kind. And he could be the opposite. He could just tear you down or make you feel that big. But ultimately, he's someone whose honesty I really appreciated. And his artistry was always something that I aspired to myself. It's kind of amazing to look back and see that it was 35 years, but that's that's what it was. And um, it his his friendship was very meaningful to me. Uh, you, you did, I mean, there's lots of Lou Reed songs and there are other Lou Reed New York songs. Was there any reason specifically why you went for that one? Yeah, um, it's because after he passed away, I kept getting asked to do these memorials and no one would do Walk on the Wild Side. So uh, if I tried to choose some other song, I, usually someone had taken it already, but no one would touch Walk on the Wild Side. So Jerry Leonard and I decided, okay, I, I thought to myself, I can do that song. And uh, we worked it up and the audience liked it and we just kept doing it. And then we eventually we worked it into my set. We would do it as a little uh, encore. And so it was, I just thought, oh, we're gonna play the Carlisle, we're gonna do a New York, a set of New York songs. Why don't we just do this and see and see how it goes. And it, it does lead to a really fun moment. There's a few, I say fun moments only because beautiful album, but you have these these really, I don't know, three points where things become a little bit dancey, you know? And I guess that being one of them, Frank and Ava is one of my all-time favorite songs. Uh, beyond just your catalog, it's just one of my all-time favorite songs. I love it. And then the record kind of comes down to a closer with, uh, with, with Tombstone. And I don't know. So this is a song I, I'll admit I wasn't familiar with, but what a fun having the jazzy sound kind of 
go against the idea of what you're talking about. I mean, what a cool little track. Thank you. I love that song. Um, yeah, and it is, I'm talking about the idea of like, where, how do I, when I die, how do I want to be treated? And it's, it's, it's an ironic song. It's sort of about mm -hmm. dancing on your tombstone. It's like dancing in the presence of death. And so, yeah, I have fun with it. It's just yeah. a little throwaway. But I find it meaningful, and it became even more meaningful, of course, once the pandemic hit New York. I thought, wow, uh, Tombstone and Thin Man both, uh, mm -hmm. this kind of this feeling of death somehow being in the city, um, both of those songs took on a new meaning to me when the pandemic hit New York City. It's really interesting how many songs uh, ha have done that, especially how many songs artists have written you know, in the past year ready for them to roll out at this time and suddenly they're speaking for this moment right there i mean it's it's the way those those songs change and everything i i'll say this uh, really quickly about tombstone too because that riff i wrote this down it it really reminds me of those um cartoons from the 30s especially with ghosts and everything it's just uh, which was such a very specific sound you know oh, I, I love that um strangely enough it was used for the haunted mansion uh, that Disney film, and I thought, really? wow, whoever thought of that song for that movie was a genius. I mean, I don't know who thought of it. It was uh, the Warner Chapel film department came and said, Disney wants to use that song for Haunted Mansion. And I thought, that's perfect. That's absolutely yeah. perfect. I, I will ask a bit somberly, because this record is coming out on September 11th. It is a New York record. Is that a coincidence, or was that sort of part of the story as well? It's a coincidence, a total coincidence. Yeah. Uh, the, the song Anniversary was written for the anniversary of 9-11. So it was originally going to come out in the U.S. in the spring. Mm -hmm. uh, June, I think, or something like that. So I asked my manager, okay, it's been postponed because of the pandemic, so what's the release date? And he said, oh, 9-11. And I said, really? Are you kidding me? And he yeah. said, no, it's 9-11. And then he says, do you want me to change it? And I said, uh, no. I, I, at first I was kind of shocked, and then I thought, no, just let it be what it is. I mean, it can be a date, but when you're talking about such a New York-centric uh, New York -centric record, it feels like that's just what else could it have been almost, you know, sort of. Um... Yeah, that's how I felt. I was yeah. like, oh, it's Providence. Some right. there's an unseen hand at work here. Well, uh, again, I can't compliment you enough. This, this record is beautiful. I love all of the work that you've done through the years. I'm so happy with the set. I've already listened to it twice this week. I'm probably going to listen to it once I get off here as well. So congratulations on this, Suzanne. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it today. Again, it's been a real pleasure and, and an honor to talk to you. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure for me, too. My thanks, Suzanne Vega. Again, the new live album is called An Evening of New York Songs and Stories. And once again, if you want to see this interview, you can find it on YouTube as well, as we, uh, we did do it over Zoom over there. And it doesn't have as much as the audio bouncing, as you'll hear on this audio version here. So big thanks to Suzanne, and a big thanks to you for checking out this episode, too. Uh, again, if this is something that you enjoyed, I do hope you hit the subscribe button so you can keep up with all of the interviews that we put out every single week, a brand new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you like to get your podcast from, just type in Kyle Meredith with and hit that subscribe button. And then after that, head to WFPK.org. 
That's where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Uh, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me on the uh, social media spots, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All of them are at Kyle Meredith. Hope you like and follow along there as well. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. I'm Lior Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org, from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.